What do you think is the greatest speech that has ever been given? Is it Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I have a dream? You know, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Perhaps you're not an American history person, you're a British history person, so it's Winston Churchill's speech, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, but we shall never surrender. Or maybe it's Gandhi's quit India speech. In a democracy which I have envisioned, a democracy established by nonviolence, there will be equal freedom for all. Everybody will be his own master. It is to join a struggle for such democracy that I invite you today. Perhaps history is not your thing, though, and so your mind wanders like mine as a movie buff into some famous speeches from film, whether that's, you know, the president's speech from Independence Day, the freedom speech by William Wallace in Braveheart. Perhaps it's Andy Dufresne's speech from Shawshank Redemption, Get Busy Living or Get Busy Dying. Whatever the speech that comes to mind to you is probably a great speech because in some way it moved you. It moved you and compelled you towards certain thoughts and feelings. And there's a good chance that you have many of the words of that speech memorized or at least they evoke images and thoughts as you consider them. But while all of those speeches are compelling in their own right, I don't think that they're the most compelling speech that's ever been given. I think that the greatest message ever given, the greatest speech ever given was by Jesus when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he not only gave some compelling words that allowed us to remember a few phrases, but he actually gave pieces of truth which would be woven into our attitudes and actions. Even if you've never read the Bible, if you've never attended or watched a church service before today, there's chances that you're going to know phrases like, you cannot serve both God and money. Turn the other cheek. Don't judge or you too will be judged. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. All of these phrases came from the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. In these three chapters, we will find that Jesus delivered on his promise. Jesus once said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And boy, oh boy, even if you're a skeptic, even if you're concerned about who Jesus was and was he really who he said he was, maybe you have challenges with Christianity, you can't really deny the fact that this speech, these words that were given over 2,000 years ago still have impact on us here in Canada, but also people around the world today. Starting today and over the next number of months, we're going to be taking a look at this sermon. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want us to just chalk this up to being a speech that was given by some charismatic leader that was compelling and had, you know, witty sayings, and, and it was great. And it was those things. I mean, Jesus had a way of speaking, as we'll see when we look at the end of the book, that people were compelled. They thought he spoke with authority. There's no doubt that there's these little nuggets that are easy to remember and stick in our minds and compel us towards different action. 
But it's not just those things. It's actually the very words of God spoken to us. The Sermon on the Mount is unique because it's full of these eternal truths that provide us these holy moments where we can reflect on who God is, what it means to live in his kingdom under his reign and control, what it looks like to live in a world that's ruled by how he wants things to be. It's going to be a message that's going to be challenging for us, compelling, I hope, and one that I think will leave us a little bit different a few months from now when we finish than when we start here today. As we look at this message, we're going to look at at the text where Jesus talks about heaven and earth colliding. And I think that's going to be so refreshing because I think for a lot of people it feels like we really are living more like hell on earth than we are with heaven on earth. But I'm hoping as we study this, we will get to see into, step into more of what heaven is like here on earth and that that will be refreshing and it will be something that's good for our hearts, our minds, and our souls. So I'm excited to look at these words of Jesus. But before we do, what I want us to do is kind of rise up to the 30,000 foot level. And so today we're going to do something that's a little bit different. I mean, normally on a Sunday morning, we'd go through a a few verses and look at what they mean and sort of break them down. What did they mean contextually for those who first heard them and then apply that to us today? But I'm concerned that if we get into a a speech by Jesus that's of this magnitude, it will be really easy for us to just kind of hunker down in the weeds and, and look at one little verse or a couple little verses that's worthy of our attention, no doubt. But when we do that and just go from one to the next to the next, the challenge can be that we actually lose sight of the bigger picture. What is Jesus really telling us by all this? What is Jesus' hope for us as his followers as he gives this message first to his first disciples, but now to us as we read his words. And so today I just want us to start out thinking about what is this sermon really all about and at the same time looking at what it's not all about. You know, while this is a really famous section of verses, it's also incredibly misunderstood. One of the ways that it's misunderstood is people see this as sort of an ethical treatise. People look at this and they say, well, Jesus is saying things like, turn the other cheek, don't commit adultery, love your enemies. And so what they see is Jesus is this leader who comes and gives a moral code. He says, this is right, this is wrong, and you better do this or else. But that's not what's happening. Absolutely, as we go through these three chapters, we're going to see all sorts of moral teachings. We're going to be challenged because Jesus is God and he established absolute truth. He established what is right and wrong and calls us to live that way. But he didn't create this to just be a rule book that we have to follow or else. And that leads me to sort of this next misconception of what this is. This is not a list that sets the bar for us to get into heaven. A lot of people can kind of come to some section like this in scripture, whether they're a Christian or not, and they see this and say, well, these are sort of the demands of God. And so clearly he sort of set this high jump bar and you can either make it over that and get into heaven or you fall short and 
tough luck, and God just really doesn't care which one. And I think that's a, a real shame because, yes, well, this, this chap, these chapters will speak to the reality of what it looks like to embrace God and his ways in heaven. It's not a guidebook or a pathway for us to get into heaven. These words were given by Jesus to his disciples, people who were already following him as a way of living out their life. Remember to, not to look at these chapters as divorced from the rest of the context of this book. Jesus, Jesus will call us to perfection. There, there's no doubt. And actually, it's quite challenging. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, we're going to see Jesus say, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's going to call us to this high standard, but let's not forget what he just called us to when we read earlier in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus gives us this call. He says, I want you as my followers to try to live like me. I want you to try to live to the standard that God exists on. But I, he also knows that we're never going to make it there, this side of heaven. And so he urges us to repent, to ask for his forgiveness, to turn from the way we're going and to follow him. And he delivered on the promise of us being able to, to come into God's kingdom, even though we fall short of that standard, by the fact that he came to earth, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, so that if we would confess our sin, the rebellion we've had, the ways we've gone against what he talks about in the Sermon on the Mountain elsewhere, that we would still be embraced into his kingdom. Jesus knows what he's talking about, but it's not what we sometimes think. So the question then is, what is this really all about? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is about the kingdom of heaven. Not getting into it, but what it looks like to live in that kingdom. Perhaps what would be really helpful is for us to take those verses in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, thinking about what we, I just shared from Matthew 5, 48, and then adding to it chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And that sort of gives us an overarching sense of a little bit before the Sermon on the Mount and two key passages from the sermon itself. So again, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So when Jesus came, he came to establish his kingdom on earth. And when we think of that, it's not just meaning a kingdom can be a tangible place. It can be somewhere where you go and there's, there's a monarch there and there's people who live under that monarch. And in a sense, there is a real true place of heaven. But in this case, he's not speaking of that sense of kingdom, but the fact that his rule and reign has come to earth and where he is, where he his people are is the kingdom of heaven. Another key passage as we think about it that as I said is uh, chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 and this is in the middle of where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, how to talk to God the Father and he says our Father in heaven hallowed be thy name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boom. There it is. There's the key to unlocking the Sermon on the Mount. 
says, yeah, we're, we're going to fall short of God's standard. We need to repent and enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then we're called in 548 to be perfect like God lives as perfect in heaven. But then in 6, 9, and 10, we're called to call out to God to establish more of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The question then is, how is that going to happen? Does it just come through prayer? Well, God absolutely moves because of our prayer, but we also see his kingdom come by living in the way of his kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's Jesus painting a picture for us of, of laying the groundwork for us to not just talk to God and ask him to bring down his kingdom to earth, but to be participants in bringing about God's will and plans on earth so that earth would be like it is in heaven. How do we know what God wants us to do? How do we know what God looks like in heaven? Uh, What are his attitudes? What are his actions? What are his desires? Well, Jesus lays it out for us in these three chapters. This isn't about legalism and ethical lessons. It's not about making us uh, us feel convicted and wrong and miserable. Uh, No, 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 hear me out. We're going to be convicted as we go through this. There's going to be places where we're challenged. But this wasn't meant to set up a set of scales to say, you achieve this and you're good, or you don't achieve this and you you fall short. And it sort of tips and, and measures whether or not you are a good Christian, whether you're in the kingdom of heaven or not. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, once you enter into my kingdom, you want to live in a certain way so that you are like who I am, so that you enact my will, my plans, my desires through acting like this. You know, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to hear things like Jesus say, you have heard it said, but now I say to you, You have seen people do this, but I want you to do that. When he's doing that, what he's like, essentially, what the Sermon on the Mount sort of becomes is this guidebook or this GPS to help us go where we need to go. When you're driving somewhere and you make a wrong turn, your GPS will say, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. Hey, you're going in the wrong direction. Make a left, make a right, do a U-turn. It'll, it'll start kind of going at you. And sometimes, I know for me at least, I can find that sort of irritating. But it's not there to, to convict me. It's there to help me right my path, to go in the right direction. So too, this will challenge us. It's going to convict us. It's going to bring us to places where we say, wow, I'm not living like God wants for the kingdom. I'm not acting in a certain way that builds out more of God's rule and reign on earth. And so I need to change course and go in a different direction. But this isn't meant to to, to, to demoralize us or set up a balance of scales. This is meant to be a guidebook that we can step into. God calls us to be a holy people, a people who are set apart for him, and he wants to establish more of his rule and reign, and that means more of his rule and reign in in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions, in our behaviors as we go out into the world. I think about this idea of viewing Jesus' teachings as, as going into the kingdom to grab what we need to build out what his plans are on earth. 
I mean, when we come into the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we're going to start next week looking at the Beatitudes. These are sort of the attitudes and norms of the kingdom. These are the things that, that Jesus is going to talk about. If, if you live this certain way, then I'm going to bless that. That's what I want to acknowledge and approve. When, when we look at that, what we're doing is we're entering into the kingdom to hear from Jesus. We're, we're listening to our king and we're saying, okay, what do I need to hear so that I can go out from your presence of focusing on your word, Jesus, and with you establish more of your kingdom by living with certain attitudes and actions. I love thinking about it of just climbing up into heaven and then bringing pieces of heaven down to earth. What's incredible is Jesus doesn't just invite us on a journey where we have to only go to God in, in prayer and sit and wait, twiddling our thumbs. He says, come to me in prayer. Come to me with the right heart and the right mind. And, and as you do that, I will begin to work through you to accomplish the very thing you're asking for. This is an incredible invitation into a different way of, of thinking, a different way of doing, a different way of being. This sermon, I hope, will transform our lives. You know, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we can look at just a few verses, from, uh, two verses from the beginning and two verses from the end to really challenge us to consider how we might respond to this. You know, in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we, we read uh, the story that it leads us up and sort of sets the scenario for what's going to happen in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowd, so Jesus has been going and doing his ministry, healing sick people, teaching in the synagogues, telling people to repent, people are, their lives are being changed by Jesus. And, and so he gets this crowd coming with him and he goes up on the mountainside and sits down. And then his disciples come to him and he began to teach them. So pay attention to that. So Jesus has all these crowds. They follow up with him. And then he begins to teach and speak specifically to his followers. Then at the very end, chapter 7, verse 28, we see this is what happens as he finishes. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When we look at how people respond to the Sermon on the Mount, right from the very beginning, there's two groups of people. There's Jesus' followers, his disciples, and then there's the crowds. As we approach the Sermon on the Mount over the next few months, we have an opportunity to consider what our response will be. Both, both groups came and they, they listened to Jesus' message. They heard these truths. They, they were amazed by them. And, and we too can do that. But the question is, what do we do out of that? What the disciples did as we read through the rest of the Gospels into the book of Acts in the Bible, we see that the disciples took these truths and went and lived them and made a difference. They brought about more of the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. The crowds, on the other hand, they heard these things, they were amazed. They talked about them, they uh, asked their, their teachers, their rabbis, hey, what do you think of what Jesus is doing? They followed his career, they watched him from this point all the way till he went to the cross. And they said, hey, this guy is pretty incredible, but at the end of the day, they were just that. They were observers, they were crowds. They never stepped into the fullness of what it can look like 
to live as God desires and wills. They didn't, they, they missed out on the opportunity to participate in being an active person involved with the world that God wants to create. And so the question that you have, the question that I have to wrestle with, am I going to be a disciple or am I just going to be a member of the crowd over these next few weeks? Well, my hope, my hope is that we will be great followers of Jesus. As a church, we say we exist to lead people to be passionate followers of Jesus. And, and I hope that that's what you're going to take out of this. That this, these compelling words of Jesus, these incredible truths are going to speak to us in such a way that we get passionate about it. That we want to be active participants in, in what God is doing. And so we, in turn, go and lead other people to be passionate followers of Jesus. And, and one of the practical things we can do over the next little while is sort of two things at the same time. One is I would challenge us to continually go to the Sermon on the Mount over the next few uh, weeks and months as we preach through this and, and just be reading along. You know, every one of us has an opportunity to kind of sit and wrestle through this. Maybe you're a person who, who can re- read it all in big chunks and you can do that. You know, every couple of days, just read through Matthew chapter 5 to 7. It takes about 12 and a half minutes to read all the way through. So it's not a big investment of time. And so you're just going to read it. And every day you can ask, hey, Jesus, what do you want to show me? How can I live out more of your kingdom? Even if you're a bite-sized person and you just got to look at a few verses at a time, take the time. Go through it slowly. Don't rush through it and and just go through it over and over again and and ask Jesus as your king, as the one you follow, hey, show me the way. Show me what you want to do. And as you do that, I would encourage you as well to pray. In the middle of his sermon here, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. He gives us a model. In in chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, he, he gives us this presentation of how we are to talk to him, what we're supposed to think about. And so I'd invite you to continually pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, one of the things I've done that I thought would be helpful for us to do today is to just pray this prayer together. Now, I've taken the Lord's Prayer, and what I've done is I've just uh, changed some of the ways we say some of the words, not the meaning at all, but some of the words so that together we can pray and personalize this. And I'd encourage you right now, let's enter into a time where we can prepare ourselves, where we can seek what God wants, and then as we go through the weeks, continually come to this and pray. So you'll see the words on the screen, and I just invite you now to pray with me these words. Asking God to come and accomplish his will in our lives and in the world. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Will more of your kingdom come? Will more of your will be done in Abbotsford as it is in heaven? Give us today exactly what we need and forgive us where we have gone wrong. Help us to forgive those who have gone against us and help us not to give in to temptation, but protect us from your enemy. Amen. My hope is that that prayer will be one that you can carry with you, that you can reflect on every day. And as we pray that together as a church all across our city, as we each 
lean into that with the word of God, the very words from the Sermon on the Mount spoken by Jesus, God himself, would we have holy moments where we encounter him and would we be compelled from there to live those principles out for the kingdom. Now in preparation of doing that, I have one last thing that I'd invite you to step into as a church. As you know, over the last year and a half, we have leaned into a discipleship plan together as a church, and we've created a, a tool, which is a, a self-assessment to, ask us, or to help us ask ourselves, where am I at in my walk with Jesus? Where, where am I now, and what next step can I take? And we would encourage you to participate in taking an assessment today. And that way, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we can think about what next steps we need to take. So when we come to the end of these three chapters, we can sit down and, and do this assessment again and celebrate how, how God has brought more of his kingdom into our lives and the world around us. And so if you're watching this live, I'd encourage you to check our chat where right now a button will be popping up and it'll say, take the self-assessment. And if you click on that, it'll take you to a web page where you can not just have the self-assessment, but a guide that will help you work through some of the materials associated with it. If you're not watching this live, you're watching it some other time, just head to our website and click on the Next Steps tab, and there you'll see on that page another spot where it says Take the Self-Assessment. And I encourage you, just take some time today. It doesn't take long just to ask yourself, how, are, how am I doing in six areas of discipleship? How am I doing in, in, you know, celebrating who God is by gathering for worship? And while we can't be together here at the church, we can consider how we're doing that in the rhythm of our lives as it is. Am I growing in community? Am I spending time with other believers? Am I serving the church in some way? Am I engaging in the mission that God has called us to? Am I learning and expanding in my knowledge and skills? And am I walking with Jesus through the practice of spiritual disciplines? See how you're doing and be honest with yourself. It's okay to say, hey, I'm not doing great in this right now. But where the problem lies is when we just leave it there. Jesus calls us to something greater. He calls us to live as he lives. And so figure out which area. Pick one, maybe two areas that you're going to commit to growth and write that down. And then keep that aside so that as we walk through the sermon, you can evaluate how you're doing and at the end we'll look to see how we grow. And make sure you don't do that alone. If you're in a community group and you're meeting this week, talk to your community group members. Uh, have them hold you accountable in this journey. If you're not in a community group, sit down with a friend or a family member and have them walk alongside of you. As we participate in the, all these things, whether it's the study of the Sermon on the Mount, whether it's intentionally praying to God in a way that honors him and invites him to be a participant in our lives, or whether it's through taking intentional steps using a, a practical tool, I pray that together as a church we would grow more and more in love with Jesus and we would see more and more of his kingdom come in our lives and in Abbotsford as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for an invitation into a life in your kingdom. God, I thank you that you didn't just leave us alone to sort of figure things out, but Jesus, you came down to earth to, to teach us, to show us the way, that you paved the way for us even to come into relationship with you. And then 
as you ascended back to heaven, that you brought down your Holy Spirit to live with us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just be alive and active in every one of our lives. Would we be receptive to to seeing and hearing how you want to move in our life, how you want to build out your kingdom in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, and in our city and around our world. God, we invite more of your kingdom to come more of your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives today and in the coming days, together and individually. And we thank you for that, and we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.